We're going to get into the Word this morning. Let's pray for a moment. Father, I pray that today's Word takes hold of our hearts, that we would have a revelation, just like, just like Paul did, that he had a revelation of who you are. And that flipped this world upside down as he went around preaching the good news of your kingdom. Father, I pray that we would have a revelation of what your son Jesus did for us on that cross. The price that was paid for us and the freedom that that bought for us. Father, I pray that you would reveal it to our spirit man. Not just to our mind, to our soul, to our intellect, but to our spirit. That on the inside that we would know that we're to be free in you. Father, I pray that each of us would be receptive in our spirits to receive all that you have for us, that our minds would be alert, that our bodies would be awake. Father, that we would receive everything that you have for us today and so that our lives would be changed, that this message would produce eternal fruit in our lives today and in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week I talked about our, um, our seating in Christ. Uh, Paul wrote and he said that we are seated in, heaven, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And uh, we talked about this a little bit. We talked about how um, Jesus is seated in the heavenly realms next to the Father. And, um, and we, uh, we enunciated the fact that Jesus is far above all principality, power, or rule, any dominion, any, any name that can be named. And, uh, and if you're here last week, can you help me tell, remind me of how far above we are? Far above! Thank you! We're far above it all. And uh, I made special mention of that last week, that we're far above. Like, it doesn't, like when you're up in that airplane, you don't care what's going down below. You don't care what's, what the, what's taking place on the earth. There could be a storm. There could be an earthquake. There could be chaos going on. Riots could be breaking out. But when you're in that airplane, you're far above it all. And so that's our seating in Christ, is that when we're born again, when we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, our spirit man is connected to God. And we use our faith to bring what's taken place in the spirit. We use our faith to make that a reality into our lives in the natural. And so despite sometimes what circumstances look like here on the ground, what you're dealing with in, in your life, maybe it's your health or your job, your finances, your relationships, whatever it looks like. Uh, when when, when uh, Paul wrote, when the evil day comes, there will be an evil day or a day of trial that comes. And when it comes, we can stand firm in our faith. And so, uh, did you know that's the only uh, fight of faith that we're called to fight? Is the fight of faith. The only fight that Christians are called to fight is the fight of faith. Uh, Paul wrote that in Timothy. And, and uh, some people read that verse and they read the word fight. And that's just what they started doing. They started fighting everybody. Christians fighting other Christians, but no, we're, we're called to, to fight the good fight of faith, and uh, that's the, the fight that we can win every single time because God has given us a measure of faith that we can use to win every battle that we fight. Amen? So, uh, most of us, we probably know the basics. Am I fuzzing? Sounds fuzzy to me. We're getting fuzzy over here. <laughs> there we are. Okay. Thank you, Dan, my man. Um, so some of us, we know the basics of what Jesus has done for us and, and the fact that he died for us. He died on the cross for us. He shed his blood for us so that we could have salvation, so that we could be born again. But he's done so much more for us, and that's what we're digging into in this series. And so uh, since the sin in the Garden of Eden, probably many of us, if not all of us, are familiar with that story of um, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they ate of the forbidden fruit, and they, uh, it says that God told them that if they were to eat of this fruit, that they would in that day surely die. But when they ate of that fruit in that day, they didn't die physically, they did die spiritually. And uh, so God worked this plan from the beginning all the way up through Jesus when he died on the cross to bring us back to life. And Jesus talked about that when we are being born again. That's when our spirit is made alive to God. And so um, since that time until this, man have lived in a fallen state as a result of sin. <clears throat> and many um, still live in that state of living in this 
uh, in this sinful lifestyle, this sinful world, and we, we know it, we feel it. We feel like uh, when we're separated from God that we know that something on the inside of us, it just isn't right. You, it just feels like there's something wrong on the inside of, inside of us. And this morning, I want to talk about how uh, what Christ has done in that he has made us brand new, and that he has made us righteous. And yet sometimes we don't feel righteous. I mean, if I were to ask uh, everyone for a show of hands, uh, who here feels righteous? righteous this morning, not every hand would go up in the room. And sometimes uh, we don't feel righteous. Maybe you did something last night that you regret doing, and this morning you're here in church and you don't feel very righteous. Maybe maybe you had a fight with your spouse on the way to church, and you got into an argument over uh, where to get breakfast or whatever, and you might not feel very righteous. And we're going to talk about this morning about how God has made us righteous. So one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm going to read it first in the New Living Translation. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become, has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. How many of you belong to Christ this morning? Let me see your hands. If you believe in Jesus, you belong to Christ. And the word says that you have become a new person person, a brand new person. Uh, In the NIV, it says the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. In the New King James, it says that he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you become born again, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you give your heart to God and you say, Father God, I, I, I give my life into your hand and I put my faith in Jesus, he makes you brand new. And uh, that's good enough to end the message right here and all of us just go home shouting and praising God for, for the rest of the day, right? I don't even have to say anything more. The fact that God has made us brand new because some of you might remember what you were like before you were made brand new. And, uh, you know, so the fact that we're brand new today is, is something that we can all go home praising God for. And so... Um, Verse 21 in 2 Corinthians 5 there, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Or in the NIV, it says that we might become the righteousness of God. And so what Jesus did for us is he gave us this ability to become righteous. And that's pretty powerful. Righteous, in uh, one definition, is right standing with God. And, you know, people for much of their lives try to earn the ability to have right standing with God. You know, I I share the gospel with a lot of people around the country. And, um, you know, I ask people, uh, we did this in in Bible college. We would ask people like, do you you know, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And and we'd have a conversation with them and and we'd ask them. And a lot of times if they would say yes, we'd ask them, well, you know, how do you know? And, And the main response is, you could probably guess it, I'm a good person. And that's what a lot of us are striving for. And to be a good person is better than being a bad person, right? I mean, that's good. But how good do you have to be to have right standing with God? Where's the, where's the scale? If we had a balance and it's like, well, I did my three good deeds today to hopefully offset my two bad ones that I did yesterday. Like, where does the, where's the tipping point of how good that you have to be? So if I, uh, if I cuss my dog out for waking me up this morning, uh, like how many good deeds does that require me to do? And, and sometimes people kind of live this way of thinking, I ha- I'm trying to be a good person. And in doing so, uh, maybe I'll have good standing with God. Or maybe if I do enough good deeds, if I, you know, and, and some religions go to the extreme of like, uh, like there's there's religions that'll make people like crawl on their hands and knees for miles and miles trying to like humble themselves so that they can become unworthy enough to somehow be worthy for God. You see, all of our efforts are futile, futile. They they don't amount to anything in God's eyes. What we get from God, when we get righteousness from God, it's a free gift. You can earn righteousness, but you can be made righteous. You cannot do something to become righteous, but you can pray to God and receive righteousness, right standing with God, where when you have right standing with God, 
in, in Hebrews chapter 13, I think it's verse, uh, whatever, I'll, I'll look it up in a moment. But in Hebrews chapter 13, it tells us that we can boldly enter the throne room of grace. Think about it. If you go and if you study the Old Testament, the, the old, uh, the, the high priest, what they would do is they would have a rope tied around their ankle because when they would go into the temple and they would enter the Holy of Holies and they had, they had bells around the bottom of their, their garments and they, the people outside, they'd be listening for the bells to make sure he's still moving in there because if, if you entered into the Holy of Holies and you weren't worthy, if you, weren't co- if you didn't go in the right way and you didn't have the right animal sacrifice, the, the blood of the animal sacrifice carving you and, and your sins weren't covered, you would drop dead. And so what they would do is uh, if they didn't hear any bells move, they might give the little t- on the rope and make sure he's still alive in there. Like, hey, uh, you know, Jimmy went in there and we haven't heard any bells clinking, so is he, is he, what's going on in there? We don't know. The high priest could have dropped dead right in the altar in the presence of God. That's the Old Testament. That's kind of scary. Aren't you thankful that we don't have a, a heavenly father that we have to be nervous about entering his presence? Like when we were worshiping this morning and people are entering his presence, it says that we can boldly or with confidence enter the throne of grace. We can boldly approach our Heavenly Father. We don't have to be scared. Why? Even if we're not perfect, which, thank goodness, none of us are. Uh, Even if we're not perfect, we can thankfully enter the throne of grace with confidence because we have right standing with God. You see, we have been made brand new, as that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, in God's eyes, you are brand new. Brand new. I don't care what you've done in in your past. When you come to God and you, and you make Jesus the Lord of your life, He erases all of that. He takes your sin and throws it as far as the east is from the west. That just goes on and on. You know, north eventually meets south, but east, east never meets west. Man, God, he, he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. You see, you weren't worthy to approach God because of sin. But now, when you come to God in faith, He makes you worthy. So, as I mentioned, that's Hebrews 4 and verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace, the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You see, we don't earn righteousness. We receive it by faith. And Paul knew that. You see, Paul, and we talked about this last week, Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was a a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was the best of the best at what he did, and he was loyal to God through his religion, Judaism. And he was dragging, he was going to Damascus with letters from the high priest to find and, and, and take members of the way, which is what they used to call Christians before they were called Christians. They were part of the way. And they, he had permission to drag them to jail, to have them beaten and thrown into prison. And that's what he was doing when he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his life is totally changed. You see, he had, he had a revelation. He knew who he used to be before Jesus. He used to be this angry, violent man that was dragging Christians, having them beaten and imprisoned, and thinking he was doing that in the name of God. And some of us, before we knew God, we were angry, violent men. And then God gets a hold of our heart, and he does something. He begins to mold and to shape our heart. And as we open our hearts to the leading of the Holy Spirit, if we'll allow him to, if we'll allow him to lead us and guide us, he'll change us into the image of his son, Jesus. And so we didn't earn our, our righteousness, but we receive it by faith. And in the book of Romans, Paul wrote clearly about this. In Romans 3, verse um, 22, it says, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. If you believe, you are made righteous. You see, righteousness isn't a feeling. You have to understand this. Righteousness is not a feeling. Say that after me. Righteousness is not a feeling. So you can't say, I feel righteous today. Like, you might have been a good person today, but that does not make you righteous today. You might have helped your neighbor, your old lady, bring her trash can out to the road this morning. That does not make you righteous. makes you nice. But righteousness is imputed to you. It's given to you. You are made brand new. You are made righteous. You have right standing with God. And we receive that by faith in Jesus. He goes on to say, there is no difference 
between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and come short, fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. You see, it's faith. It's through faith in Jesus that we are made righteous. Not through our own deeds, not through our own actions, not to how good or or bad we are. All of that is irrelevant. We can't expect people to become good before they can come to God. Sometimes people get treated that way, like, and, and, and if you're, and if you're married to someone or you have a relationship with someone that's not saved, don't tell them they have to, like, be good before coming to church. You totally missed the point. God wants you to come to Him, and then when you come to Him and you have an encounter with Him, He's gonna work in your heart and He will make you good. So stop trying to make unsaved people good. Right? You can't, and it's pointless. You know, before you were saved, you, you, you could not, no matter what you did, how good or bad, earn anything from God. But when you put faith, you see, Hebrews tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. So when we come to God and we say, God, I believe in you and I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And you say, I believe that you were raised from the dead. And that's a big thing to believe. Because how in the world do we know? We're taking, we're taking this story at its word. We're taking God at his word that 2,000 years ago, a Jewish uh, carpenter turned into a religious leader and led a kind of a rebellion against his own religion. And he died on a cross, and a Roman cross, which was like the worst punishment for criminals. And because he did that, and, and, and because this says it, we believe that he rose from the dead. That's a big thing to believe. You see, Christianity isn't about coming to church. Christianity isn't about reading your Bible. Christianity isn't about praying. All of that's included. But what it is, is confessing that you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's a big thing to believe. Anybody can walk into a church and sit in a pew, say hallelujah and amen. Anyone can do that. Anyone can help their old neighbor lady bring their trash can to the road. But it takes faith here, not up here. Not faith in your head. Not trying to figure this all out upstairs. But it takes faith here in your heart to say, I believe in my heart that Jesus is alive. That though he was put on that Roman cross, he didn't stay in the grave. He rose on the third day. It takes faith to do that. So you don't earn righteousness. We receive it by faith. He could, in Romans, I love it. He, just, he mentions this so many times, in, and I'm just putting a few down here. Um, in Romans 5, 17, it says, If by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? You see, we reign in life through Jesus Christ because we have been made righteous in God. We have right standing with God. If you believe in God, and if you don't, um, that's a different story. But if you believe in God, if you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and all that's within them, if you believe that God created you, that the reason that you're alive today is because God created you, if you, if you believe all of that, and then you believe that God has given you right standing with him, think about it. He's given you access to infinite power. Think about it. He created all of this. And he says that because of what he has done for us, we have right standing with him. How do I, Jeremiah from Waterport, New York, get to have right standing with God who created the universe, who knows the hair or lack of hair on every single person in this room on their head? He knows the number of hairs on your head, whether that's one or 10,000, right? He knows it. And I have right standing with him. You have right standing with him. That's a big deal. That's something to be excited about. Man, so um, one more. Uh, we are, I quoted this a moment ago, but Romans 10 verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the heart 
One believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I grew up in church. My parents, they were missionaries, and, and I grew up with a, um, a Bible on my pillow every night when I went to bed. And I grew up going to church when the doors were open. We were there Sunday mornings. We were there Wednesday nights. We were there for whatever. We had we a had home fellowship group at our church we had, or at our house. Um, I grew up in church. And yet there came a time in my life and in my brother's lives that we decided that we had more important stuff to do. I have a brother here to verify it, but we had gotten a Nintendo 64, and that was way more important to us on a Sunday morning than going to church. And so um, we started to resist my parents making us go to church. I'm thankful for my godly parents that said, well, you're in my house, and I don't care. You're coming to church. And uh, sometimes that's how you got to treat your kids when they don't want to do what you're supposed to do. And uh, so thankfully, that we, we, were, we kept going to church, and my parents, they were praying for us because they knew that our hearts were wrong. They knew that, and, and I knew my heart was wrong. I would sit in, that, in the back of that church pew, and my brothers and I and, and our friends, we would sit there and... Um, we would, we would make jokes at the preacher. We would play games. We would, like, I don't know, I think we had those little toy skateboard things, uh, that, and we were practicing our little kick flips or doing whatever we're doing in the back of the church, anything other than actually listening to what that guy was talking about and not engaging in worship. And I knew every Sunday during worship I would be there, and something on the inside of me knew that I was not right with God. And that went on for about two to three years, and, and my brothers and I, we started listening to rock music. And for you guys that, you know, maybe grew up in the world, you might not think, well, listening to rock music, what's the big deal with that? Well, for me, growing up in church, it was a big deal. I knew that we were not supposed to listen to rock music, and so we started listening to all, all this music, and, and that kind of, like, you know, was our way of telling our parents, like, yeah, we don't really care what you think. We're going to do what we want. And uh, so that went on for a couple years. And I, I had lost my sense of righteousness. And I knew that even though, it, like, it's, it's the funniest thing. Like, at that point, I wasn't really living for God. But don't talk bad about Jesus in front of me because I'm probably going to correct you about it. You know, like, I was, I was kind of religious in that way. And, um, and I knew that there was something wrong on the inside of me. And one day during church is I made this decision that I didn't care what anybody else thought about me. I'm going to go down to the front. It was during worship and I'm going to pray. And I went down front and I prayed a simple prayer and I said, God, please forgive me for the way that I've been treating you and the way that I've been treating my parents and my family. Please forgive me. And when I prayed that simple prayer and I humbled myself and, and, and admitted where I was wrong, God's presence came and overwhelmed me. And when, and when I got up from that prayer, like I was bawling my eyes out for an hour, I felt brand new. I had been made righteous. I had been given right standing with God before where the guilt and the shame was. And you see, the thing is, some of you guys, you have a different testimony. Some of you guys have a testimony of living on the streets in, in gangs or doing drugs or selling drugs. Some of you guys have a testimony of living in the bar and partying and, and um, you know, hooking up with people. And some of you guys have a different testimony. You see, I grew up different. I grew up in church. But you see, the point is, it doesn't matter whether you have the testimony of growing up on the streets in a gang or whether you grew up in church. It doesn't matter because none of that can help you into heaven. It does, going to church doesn't make you go to heaven. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you, born, what makes you Christian is becoming born again when you receive by faith, when you pray like I did and you say, God, I'm sorry for the way I've been living. I'm sorry for the way I've been treating you. I want to know you. I want to know who you are. And, and please forgive me for the way I've been living. And then God does something. He makes you righteous. You can't make you righteous. He makes you righteous. And so my wife, she's got a different testimony. And I, and I tell my wife's testimony better than she does. And so uh, she's here. I could ask her to come up and share it. But I like my version better. Okay, so my wife is an ex-convict and, and an ex-drug dealer. Okay, now the reason that I, I like to share her testimony like that is because technically what I just said is true, but it's a, a kind of a stretch of the truth, you know. So my my wife, she was not saved, not born again, and she was living in the world. And uh, one night she'd been out um, partying a little too hard, and she was driving home under the influence of some substances, and. Uh, and so she gets pulled over, like literally, like she's shown me where it was, like 
a hundred feet in front of her house where she was going. And she gets pulled over there and they made her spend the night in what she calls the drunk tank. I call it prison, but whatever. So she's an ex-con, all right? So she did spend a night in the drunk tank, but she's, that made her an ex-convict, all right? And then when she was in, in Bible, co- or not in Bible college, this is, this is other college, when she was in the other, uh, when she was in her university, what were those medications you were getting subscribed? Adderall. She's getting subscribed to Adderall, and she had some of her roommates that wanted to buy some. And so she was selling some Adderall to some of her friends, which makes her a drug dealer. Um, so she, my wife, my beautiful wife here, is an ex-convict drug dealer, all right? But so, so she's got a different story than me, and so maybe you grew up more like my wife, where you were a drug dealer, where you were uh, an ex-convict, or a current convict if you're watching online. I don't know if they let us go into jail. But anyway, if... Uh, no matter what your lifestyle is, whether you grew up like that and you had a rough life, and I'm making light of my wife's story because she has a powerful testimony of what God genuinely did in her life from living a horrible, pain-filled life in the world, from being beaten and abused by horrible guys, from being uh, trying to drown out the pain with alcohol and drugs, and, and from living a rough life to being turned into someone that you can't even recognize because she was made brand new. You see, that's what Jesus will do with you. He will make you brand new. But it doesn't matter if you grew up in the church and religion is your problem, or if you grew up on the streets and you're living a life full of what the world would call, or what we call worldly sin. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. And ultimately, what keeps people out of heaven is not sin, is not being good or bad. That's not what keeps you out of heaven. What keeps you out of heaven is not having a relationship with Jesus. Because here's the thing, even after I got saved, and if you'll be honest, probably you too, after you got saved, you still sinned every now and then. So if becoming a Christian was the solution, then we wouldn't ever sin again. But what Christianity does is when we make Jesus our Lord and Savior, God becomes alive on the inside of us, and we have right standing. We are made righteous. You see, it's not about how good and perfect you are because you'll never be good enough or perfect enough. Let's go in the, in the word this morning to Luke chapter 15. Man, I'm having a good time up here. I hope some of you guys join me. Luke chapter 15, we're going to read a bit of the story of the lost son. In Luke 15 verse 13, it says, Not long after, that younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So the son, there's two, there's two sons in the story that we're reading, and you can read the whole thing if you want later, but uh, the, it, there's two sons in the story. They get d- their inheritance divided to them, and the younger son takes all that he was given, and he goes off and squanders it in the world with wild living. Now, some of you guys can relate to that. My wife can relate to that, right? Some of you guys can relate to that. I'm more like the judgy brother that we'll get to in just a minute. That's my testimony. But some of you guys know what it's like to squander your life living in the world. He went and he, and he, be, he had all these friends because he's the guy at the bar paying for everybody's drinks. He's the one gambling his money away and gathering a crowd and, and being entertainment for everyone. He's the one squandering what he'd been given And what this story is really a reflection of, the Father represents God. And God has given all of us a life. And some of us have squandered the life that we've been given with wild living, filling it up with our own pleasures, seeking what we can desire for ourselves. And so the story goes on. It says, uh, after he had spent everything, there was a famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country and who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. You see, when, when you get in life to this point, and, and some of you can relate to this too, is that when life got so bad for you that you're willing to eat, to, to work feeding pigs and then eat the pig's food, you finally realize something in your life, man, life should not look like this. And this son, who had come from this father's house, where he had been richly provided for, he has this revelation. Man, in my father's house, it didn't used to be like that. It says, 
When he came to his senses, and some people just need to come to their senses today. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Think about that. He wasted everything his father gave him. He wasted it. And his father, he had compassion on him. He ran to him and put his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And sometimes we feel like that. Like, God, I'm not even worthy. And you know what? We're right. That son there, he's right. He's not worthy. None of us are worthy. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the... bring." We're not worthy, but he makes us worthy. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Man, when we come back to God, He doesn't look at us and say, you're not worthy. He looks at us and says, put a robe on that man's body. Give him some clean shoes to wear. Put a ring on his finger and let's have a party because he's come back. That's how God sees us. He sees us as being made brand new. He sees you as being made brand new. He sees you as being made righteous. That son didn't feel righteous, and there's going to be days where you don't feel righteous. But in God's eyes, he sees you as brand new. He sees you wearing a brand new robe with a ring on your finger, brand new shoes on. That's how he sees you. And he dresses you the ways that he sees you. He still calls you. And on your worst day, God still calls you a victor in Christ. On your worst day, God still sees you as more than a conqueror. On your worst day, He still sees you the way that He designed you to be. Not the way that maybe society sees you. Maybe not the way your family sees you. Maybe not the way your boss sees you. God sees you the way that He designed you to be. More than a conqueror. A victor in Christ. An overcomer. Full of His his power. Hallelujah. Now, let's get to judgy brother. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back and is safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But, an, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes has come home, you killed a fat and calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother... This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. <clears throat> you see, when we become born again, we're like that lost son coming home. He was filthy. He was dressed in the rags that the world had given him. He was a failure. He was a mess up. He couldn't even hold a job. He was trying to eat pig food. And what did God do for him? He changed everything. Everything. He dressed him up the way he was supposed to be dressed. He gave him a brand new robe, sandals and a ring, and a new diet of fattened calf. So let me ask you this. Who's the brother for you? The judgy brother. Who is he in your life? Who is the person that can't see past your past? Because when you become born again, there's going to be people that will never 
see you for who you've become. They won't see you for the man or woman of God that you are today. They're going to see you for who you used to be, and they're going to remind you of it. Yeah, you might go to church, and you might read your Bible, and you might pray, and you might give, but I remember when you used to go to the bars, and you're just like the rest of us. And they're going to try and talk you down. And they're going to try to talk you back to get to that level of who you used to be. And if you're not careful, you might slip up and let it get to you. And if you're not careful about spending time with those people and allowing them to influence you, you might find yourself back as who you used to be. So who is it in your life that isn't excited for your success? Who is it in your life that wants to remind you of your past and who you used to be? It could be a family member, it could be a friend, or it could be a church member. And that's sad to say. But you can't live how other people see you. You have to see yourself how God sees you. He's made you brand new. I mean, Paul wrote this stuff knowing what a mean, horrible person he was. Dragging Christians to jail. And beating them. When, um, when Jesus was brought this woman who'd been caught in adultery, it says in John 8 and verse 9, it says, when the accusers heard this, because the, the, these, these people, they brought this woman caught in adultery and they, they wanted to stone her to death. They wanted to kill her according to the law that they had. And, and Jesus began to, he asked them, he said, which one of you, or whoever of you hasn't sinned, you can throw the first rock. And one by one, they started to go away. It says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. The woman was wrong. There's no way you can slice it. Adultery ain't cool. There's no way you can slice it. No one, like, in, like any culture, like any, everyone knows that ain't right. And Jesus says, neither do I. I don't condemn you. But he doesn't leave it at that. He says, go and sin no more. You see, we have to understand that we are made righteous in God's eyes. But that's not a free pass to do whatever we want to do. In John uh, chapter 1 and verse 14, it says that God was the Word and the Word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. And it, and it says, the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You see, God is full of grace and truth. He has grace for you. He had grace for that woman caught in adultery and said, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to pick up a rock and throw it at you. But he gave her some truth too and said, you got to start living right. You know, in, uh, in Acts chapter 19, it's, it's talking, this, there's some really cool stuff in Acts chapter 19. It's Paul when he's in, in Ephesus and he's really basically having like this crazy move of God. He's preached there for two years and like, He's, that's where he's sending like handkerchiefs off his body and their people are taking handkerchiefs like a dirty old hanky from him and casting devils out and, and healing sick people. And, um, ooh, excuse me. <laughs> and, and God was really moving. And what happens is like the word of God begins to spread and, and have such a profound impact on these people. It says in Acts chapter 19, verse 18, it says, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at the public bonfire. The value of those books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. Think about that. These people, you see, the righteousness of God, it's a free gift for us. And you can only receive it by faith. You can't earn it. We, re we receive that by faith. But once we receive that, God expects us to do something with it. He doesn't expect us to stay in the same mess that we're in. You see, those people, they brought millions of dollars worth of incantation books from sorcery. And what did they do with it? They sold it on eBay so that they could use that money to fund the gospel right? Isn't that what we do today as Christians? 
well, I got this stuff that I paid for and you know, I don't, I don't want to lose the money for it and maybe I'll give it to some charity and help, help out with that. What did they do with it? They burned it. I'm telling you, there might be some stuff in your life that you don't got to sell it on eBay. You just got to have a public bonfire and just burn it, you know? And we have to take this stuff seriously because like, I mean, someone could be like, oh, you're being too spiritual. That's just a book. It's just a book. I can't do nothing for me. They burned it. I'm telling you, if there's, there's some stuff in your life that you got to get rid of, get rid of it. When my brother and I, when we, when we got right with God, we broke our CDs of Metallica and ACDC and Led Zeppelin and all the stuff that we were listening to to prove how cool we were and how we didn't need to listen to my parents. We didn't like, hey, let's sell this. Let's give it to our friends. We, could, we broke it. We trashed it. I remember the night my brother was trashing his CDs and, and he loved music way more than I did. You know, but he's, he's just getting rid of his music. You know, there's some stuff, I guarantee if you look, there's some stuff in your life that you just got to burn it. Amen? And that's not me being harsh. This is just like, this is what these people did. If you're still living the way that you lived before you got saved, after you got saved, I promise you, you're doing it wrong. That's not me judging. That's just saying when you become a new creation, you no longer identify as that old you. That prodigal son, he didn't say, no, 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 I'm going to keep my old raggedy clothes. Let me put those back on because that's who I am now. No, he became a brand new person. And though he didn't deserve it, and though he wasn't worthy of it, that's who God saw him as, and that's who God made him. And then that's who he became. You have to become who God sees you, not who your old high school friends see you as. Your old high school friends are going to remind you who you used to be. Forget them. Sometimes you got to forget the people in your past and say, that's not me anymore. Man, I'm like out of time, but I just could preach like another two hours right now on this. I'm worked up. I apologize. Let me close with, one, with this one thing that I want to share and then we'll, we'll finish here. And, uh, so to close off this thought here, There is the, Paul writes time and again, and he calls something in our life the old man. And he keeps telling, and he keeps writing about the old man and the new man. He says, you gotta put off the old man. You see, I don't believe in zombies, but there's one zombie in like everybody's life, and that's called the old man. You see, that's when you die to yourself. You see, we read that in we read that in 2 Corinthians, that we don't live for ourselves. In fact, and, and, and I don't have time to read it all this morning. I have the verses in here somewhere. But that, oh, here it is in Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away, done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see, we, we, that old man dies. And here's the thing, that old man that you killed when you made Jesus the Lord and your Savior of your life, He's going to try and crawl up out of that grave. I promise you, the old you is going to try to crawl up out of that grave and say, no, that temptation, like, it's just one drink. It's just one cigarette. It's just one blunt. It's just one this. It's just one look. It's just one R-rated movie. It's just one scene. It's just one, it's just one conversation. It's just, the, and that old man is going to try to crawl up. And what you got to do is keep that man down in the grave. You know, like, I mean, I shouldn't say this in church, but I used to play, like, these video games where you killed zombies, and, like, that's what you got to do to a zombie. You kill it. You chop its head off with a shovel. And I, I shouldn't say this. There's kids in here. I shouldn't be saying this in church. But when that thing comes up, you got to kill that thing. Your old you is going to try to come up. That's why Paul said he's talking about actively doing something, saying you have to put off the old man and actively put on the new one. Because the old one's always right there saying like, oh, don't you remember what that used to be like? It feels so good. Let's just go out with our friends one last time and we're just being social. We're not actually doing anything wrong. I mean, I'm telling you, you're opening yourself up to stuff and you don't even know what you're doing. You're so close. You see, Jesus, he said, narrow is the path. Narrow is the way to heaven and broad is the path that leads to destruction. It's so easy to go with society and the culture and go on the broad path that leads to destruction. It takes someone to fight against the current to swim upstream. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that your word takes hold of our heart. I thank you that you've made us righteous. 
I thank you that we're brand new in you. I thank you that your presence is so good, that you are so real, that you come and you touch and you change us, that we don't identify as who we used to be, but that we've come up out of that grave, that we put on the new man, that you've made us brand new. I thank you that we are made new in you, that you put a robe on our back, that you put a ring on our finger, that you give us some new shoes to wear, and that you kill the fattened calf to throw a party for us coming into your family. Father, I pray that we would have revelation, spiritual revelation of who you've designed us to be and who you've created us to be and also who we are not to be. Father, I thank you that you see us as the victor. I thank you that you see us as overcomers. I thank you that Jesus, as he was tempted in every way, that he didn't succumb to the temptation and that we have Jesus living inside of us and that as we live and depend on you, Christ in us, he's the hope of glory, that as Christ lives in us, that we can overcome every trial and tribulation that comes our way, every temptation that we can reach out through arms of faith and say, God, I'm living for you today. I'm not going to live the way I used to, but I am a new man, and I'm living for you today. In Jesus' name, I pray that we would know this. I pray that we would live for you, that the world would see Jesus in our eyes, that he would hear Jesus, that they would hear Jesus in our voice. That when we walk, we don't walk like mere men. We walk like children of the King, the kingdom of heaven, that we've been made ambassadors of Christ, that we carry heaven with us. Father, I pray that we would know you and that we would know the way that you know us, that we would know who you've designed us to be, that we're made righteous, that we're brand new, and that when that old man tries to rise up, we keep him down. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask this morning if there's anyone here and, and you would say, Jeremiah, I, I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life because I, I don't know Jesus like that. I haven't had my life changed, but I, what you're talking about, that sounds pretty good. I want that. It's a free gift. Maybe you've been trying hard your whole life to be good, good enough to one day make it to heaven. Maybe you really are a good person. You might be better than me. But none of that really matters if you don't have Jesus. <clears throat> when you make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, God makes you a brand new man, a brand new creation. You don't deserve it and you can't earn it and you're not worthy of it, but He welcomes you into His family with open arms, just like that son coming to Him. Didn't deserve it, wasn't worthy of it, but God welcomed him home. That father welcomed him home. And God will welcome you. He's got his arms wide open to you right now. And he says, come here. Let me hug you. Let me kiss you. Let me put a robe on your back and a ring on your finger. He says, welcome home. You were dead, but now you're alive. And he's going to celebrate. He's going to have a party for you. So I want to ask if there's anyone here that would say, Jeremiah, I want, I, want, I want to know God. I want to know Him like you do. I want to know that He's real. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. I'm going to ask you to pray with faith, believing from the heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confessing with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, you will be saved. So I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. And if, you, if that's you and you'd say, Jeremiah, that's me, maybe, maybe life's just been handing it to you. Maybe you've had a hard life and things have just been tough. And, and maybe, maybe you're more like that son that's been squandering your life and wild living in the world. And you'd say, Jeremiah, it's time to make a change. I agree. Let's make that change today. And that change begins by you saying, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. So if that's you, I'm going to ask if you'd if everyone here would just for a moment close your eyes and allow God to speak to your heart. And if that's you, right where you are, just slip your hand up in the air and say, Jeremiah, that's me. If that's you, slip your hand up in the air. Nice and high where I can see it. Thank you. Is anyone else? If you're watching online, slip your hand up in the air. I can't see it. God's right there with you. He can. Say, Jeremiah, that's me. And if that's you, you can put your hand down and say this prayer with me out loud, but also say it from your heart. Say, Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I confess Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I believe that Jesus 
was raised from the dead. Thank you for saving me from this day to my last day. I turn my back on sin and from this day to my last day, I will live for you with all my heart in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's good news. That's good news. God is good. Amen. That's good news. That's good news. Hallelujah. In closing, we're going to give everyone an opportunity to give into God's kingdom. If you want to do that, you can raise your hand if you need an offering envelope or there will be instructions coming on the screen if you want to give electronically. I know we're out of time, but I'm just going to read this story in cl- uh, real quick. It's just a couple verses. In Luke 21, Jesus um, he's hanging out by the temple. And it says, As they looked up, Jesus saw a rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. I love this story. But sometimes people misunderstand this story. People think that like, oh well, see, God doesn't care about how much you give because all she did was put in a couple pennies and uh, that didn't matter. That's not true at all. She put in all that she had. I mean, that's a tall order right there. Imagine if, if God asked you to give every dollar you had today, clean out your bank account. I'm, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm saying, imagine... You see, that, that woman, she didn't just put in two pennies. She put in all that she had. You see, God cares about your heart. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And some people say, God has my heart. But let me ask you, does he have your treasure? See, when we give to God, this isn't just something that we do out of charity and we're like, oh yeah, I want to help that church out. You know, we got to keep the lights on in here. Don't worry about the lights being on. I, I serve a very, very rich Jew. He's very rich. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? He's all, my Heavenly Father, He's going to provide for our needs all the time. This is, giving isn't about giving to a church to help them. If you're giving to a church that way, you're giving wrong. You give to your Heavenly Father because you love Him and because of what He's done for you. So I, we're not asking for charity this morning. We, we don't need help. God is our help. But what I'm asking you to do is ask God what he would have you do and then do that. Because that woman, like she could have been like, you know, all these rich people putting money up here. They're giving of their wealth. And it meant nothing to them. If you make a million dollars, what's a thousand dollars? But she put in her two pennies and Jesus made that two pennies worth more than any amount that those rich people are putting in that day. It's about your heart. Does God have your heart? And I believe that he does. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you bless us richly. You said in your word that you'll make us rich in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. And Father, we love you. We're thankful for what you've done for us. And we give into your kingdom gratefully with joy in our hearts because of all that you've done for us. We love you so much and this is one expression of our love. We give as a sacrifice to you. And we know that you receive it in heaven as a sweet-smelling aroma. So, Father, we give gladly of our hearts. And, Father, I bless every single person here in the name of Jesus that as we go from this place, we're blessed, we're encouraged, we're strengthened, we're challenged in Jesus' mighty name. And if you believe it, say amen. Amen. Well, we love you. I hope that today's message blesses you today. I hope that it encourages you and challenges you. And we hope to see you all again real soon. Be blessed and have a great day. Let's give with a glad heart.